Um, so as you know, David's on sabbatical, and um, as a church, we've been very intentional about planning that for a while now, um, I think a couple of years, actually. Um, and this year, he's finally able to do it, so um, just remind you to keep him in your prayers. But um, what that meant for me, since I'm focused on me, um, is that I had to give a sermon, and I knew um, a couple of, I guess a couple of months ago, that I was going to give one um, just to give our new associate pastor, Emily, a chance to sort of break her in gently. Um, so she'll be up here next week. Um, <laughs> but so I knew it was coming, uh, and originally I had planned this sweet and gentle little sermon about spiritual gifts, and I was all ready to go on that. Um, and then I had a day off, and I was planning to sleep in, and for those of you who know me, I'm like a marathon sleeper. I can sleep 13, 14 hours at a stretch um, if I ever get the chance. <laughs> And so I was all set to sleep well into 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and 8 o'clock hits, and I was bold awake and um, just had this verse running over and over in my head and couldn't get back to sleep, couldn't get back to sleep. And following the verse, there kept coming these phrases for a sermon about it and um, just wouldn't let me alone. I kept trying to go back to sleep and kept going, kept going. So finally I just got up, got to my computer, um, and just typed it all out. I didn't even take out my earplugs. I sleep in earplugs because um, I'm an old woman. And uh, <laughs> so didn't even take those out, was just completely focused, you know, sitting there in my PJs typing the sermon. Um, and I really haven't changed it that much since then. I polished it up a little bit, completed some of the sentences, but um, it's basically the same thing. It is not a sweet and gentle sermon. <laughs> it, is, uh, it is some, some uncomfortable uh, truth in here. So um, I'm grateful that, that God gave me the words to say it. I just hope I don't get in his way um, delivering it, but... Um, stick with it. I think you'll be glad you did if you get to the end without hating me. And if you do hate me, I'm gone in a month. So um, you're all right. <laughs> so the verse that was running through my head um, is from Luke. And it actually appears in Matthew as well. But um, I have a special fondness for Luke. So I, I went with that one. Um, and it's from chapter 9, verse 23. And it's actually on your song sheet if you want to keep it for later. But by the end of this, you'll probably know it by heart because I say it a lot. Um, but it it's Jesus talking about what it means to, to be a disciple. And it says, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And you've probably heard the verse before. Um, it's one of those that gets tossed around a lot in Christian circles, but um, we rarely take the time to really examine it. He said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Jesus is here explaining what it means to be a Christian, what it means to come after him. And you'll notice he doesn't say, if anyone desires to come after me, let him show up at church for an hour on Sunday, stick a little metal fish on his car, and listen exclusively to Christian music. These are not bad things, but they're not what define us as Christians. Jesus' requirements are much tougher. First, let him deny himself. Is there any statement that runs more opposite to American culture than this? We don't deny ourselves anything. The American dream is that we would each have everything we want exactly when we want it. And if a newer version comes out in three weeks, we want that too. The more I thought about this section of the verse, the more I realized that I don't even really know what deny means in this context. I had to look up the word deny in the dictionary just to make sure I was on the right track. The whole concept is so alien to everything our culture is and does and says that we've completely lost sight of this aspect of being a Christian. So what does deny mean? To reject, 
to disown, to refuse. The only way that I could even begin to wrap my head around this is kind of a weird illustration, but stick with me. (laughs) It's to think of it in medical terms. Um, And I'm not a doctor. All my knowledge comes from medical TV shows. So, um, but I did look it up just to make sure I wasn't making things up. You've heard the term reject when when people talk about organ transplants, right? It's a danger that the body will reject the new organ. Well, it turns out that there's also something um, beneficial called tumor rejection. And in that, uh, the body discovers a tumor, recognizes that it's foreign and dangerous, realizes that the tumor seeks to destroy and consume the body, and so the body begins to attack and annihilate the tumor. And as I was trying to understand what Jesus is saying here about denying the self, it helped me to think of it in these terms. When we become Christians, confessing Christ as Lord, we die to ourselves and live new lives in him. Right? That's what we talk about when we get baptized and all that. But our self, our ego, hangs on. And unless we reject it, deny it, refuse its desires and goals, it will eventually consume and destroy us. Selfishness, self-centeredness, is like a cancer that eats away at our faith, our relationships with others, and our relationship with God. So Jesus here is saying that we must reject that part of ourselves, deny it, destroy it. And that's hard Just try to deny yourself your morning latte and see how grumpy you are. And he's talking about consistent, thorough denial. So that's the first requirement of being a Christian, and it's tough. The second requirement, though, seems much tougher. And this is the part that we often misunderstand and misuse. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. To Christians today, this doesn't carry the same weight it would have carried for the disciples. We celebrate the cross. We put gorgeous crosses up in our church. We wear crosses around our necks as jewelry. We place crosses in the ground to honor those who have died. The cross for us is a sacred symbol of Christ's ultimate victory over sin and death. And that's awesome. We should celebrate that. We should venerate that. But that's not what the cross would have meant to the disciples when they first heard these words out of Jesus' mouth. To the disciples, the cross was not a symbol of victory, but of condemnation. Not of glory, but humiliation. Not joyful reunion with God, but scorn and punishment and death. At this moment, Jesus is saying to the disciples, pick up your absolute willingness to suffer, to walk burdened, and to die. And he's not just talking about a figurative death either, to actually die. And many of the disciples literally did pick up a cross and die that death, and others were martyred in truly horrific ways. Jesus' command at the time would be like someone saying now, pick up your electric chair. And he meant it. Christianity is hard. You carry a burden. You are often scorned by the world. Just turn on the news and hear how they talk about Christians. You're often condemned by the world, mocked and despised when you make decisions based on your Christianity. And if you don't think that's true, you might need to step out of your Christian social bubble a little bit and interact with some non-Christians, and they will tell you that the things you do are crazy. You will work hard and never get thanked or recognized. You will make sacrifices that are uncomfortable and that you may not understand the reason for. You will take risks that will be terrifying and only some of them will pay off here on earth. You will feel the heaviness of disappointment in yourself on the days when you don't live out your faith the way you intend to. 
And if you're sitting there and you haven't experienced this kind of Christianity, if you haven't lost something or risked something or felt the utter insignificance of your acts in the face of the vast grace and power of God, then listen. If your Christianity is comfortable, you're not doing it right. If your Christianity is comfortable, you are not doing it right. Christianity is hard. There's an entire world out there that's not Christian. And the pressure from that world can be overwhelming. Just ask any of our teenagers or college students and they will tell you. Every day as a Christian, you have to make decisions and choices to swim against the current of culture. Every day you make decisions not to follow the sin of the world, not to lie in your business interactions, not to yell at your spouse, not to cheat on your taxes, not to engage in the countless behaviors that the world accepts as fine, but the Bible tells us are not for our good. Hopefully, every day you take risks for your faith, risks like sharing that faith with the people you encounter, or just praying that God would give you opportunities throughout your day to see and respond to the need in the world. These can be scary things. Every day you make sacrifices, from small things like sacrificing some sleep in the morning so you have time to spend with God, to larger sacrifices like sharing his blessings in your life with those around you. And sometimes God calls us to bigger sacrifices, like when he tells you to move to Dallas and go to seminary, leaving behind the church you love, the youth you love, the family you love, and not knowing what the end destination will be. Christianity is hard. It's a burden, and it's heavy. And every day in your thousand choices, you either continue carrying that burden, or you put it down. You compromise. You sit by the road with the rest of the world, taking a break, feeling comfortable. But hear me, Jesus is not calling us to comfort. He's demanding that his disciples make a choice every day to shoulder an absolute willingness to die, even if that means being beaten, scorned, spit upon, even if that means suffering horrible, horrible things, even if that means feeling separated from God. And trust me, there will be moments in your faith when you cannot feel him near you. Jesus calls us to all of this, to this willingness to suffer whatever the world throws at us. And he knows he's asking a lot. He's suffered more than any of us ever will. But that's not to say that living as a Christian is completely miserable and without joy. I've lived as an atheist and I've lived as a Christian. And I can guarantee 100% that you will have a level of joy as a Christian that people who don't know God have never even imagined was possible. Living as a disciple of Christ is, in many ways, like living in Texas. Bear with me on this one. (laughs) You may have been born and raised here, or you may have moved here like I did from one of those frozen and foreign northern states. But however you got here, and however long you've been here, you know that it gets extremely uncomfortable here right about August. Often it gets extremely uncomfortable by the middle of June. It's hot, relentlessly, punishingly, brutally hot, and Texans know this. Some bear it better than others, but most of us long at some point in August or September or even June to just get out of here, to just get out of this heat. We know this, but we live here anyway. And if you've ever lived anywhere that had a serious winter, I'm talking the kind where your Halloween costume involves long underwear and you get snowed in at the end of May, All it takes is one February in Texas before you decide you'll bear anything in summer in order to be here for the spring. True Christianity is like that. If you know the joy, 
the overwhelming, awesome delight of living in relationship with the creator of the universe, then you will bear anything before giving that up. If you have walked in the darkness of a life without God, you will walk in the light no matter what, even if walking in the light means walking through fire. Now, if I ended here with just the command that we annihilate our own egos and be 100% willing to die every day, this would be a pretty depressing sermon. But I won't end here because Jesus didn't end here. We're called to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and do what? Follow him. When you are physically following someone, whether it's on a hiking trail or a busy highway, what do you have to do? It's not just a matter of putting your feet where theirs have been or switching lanes when they do, though those things are important. No, the vital thing is that you always keep your eyes on the one you are following, always. Have you ever been in a crowded room, maybe at a party or a concert or a sporting event, and someone you absolutely adore walks in? Maybe it's your spouse or your child or your high school crush or whoever, but they walk in and you see them before they see you, and you just follow them around the room with the goofy puppy face. You can't take your eyes off them. And that's what our relationship with Jesus is meant to be like. We should be so crazy in love with him, so utterly besotted with everything he is, that we can't take our eyes off him, that we would follow him anywhere and do anything just to be closer to him. We're meant to stalk Jesus, to find where he's working in the world and join him, to get to know him through the Bible and through prayer every day, to find out the things he's doing, to clamor to spend more time with him, to just be head over heels in love with this Jesus. And that part is easy. Once you get to really know Jesus, to see the things he's done in your life, to see the things he's doing in the world, to understand the ultimate sacrifice he made to save this world that is filled with all of us bad, broken, and just plain bored humans, to see how he over and over again reaches out to those who ignore him, who despise him, and who so desperately need him. Once you see and understand these things, you won't be able to help falling in love with him. Now, I may have just lost all the men in here because I was talking about love. So let me put it this way. Think of one of the greatest leaders in your life or in history. Think of the impact that leader has had on you and on the world he inhabited. Think of the devotion and the loyalty that person brought out in you. Think of the way he or she made you work harder, brought out your best efforts, challenged you. Now multiply that by about a billion, and you've got Jesus. Living in this world as a Christian is a battle, but you've got the world's greatest general. He's already laid down his own life to ensure your victory, and he's now by your side, ready to push you and guide you and challenge you to your own victory. Because that's the other amazing truth that balances out the heaviness of the burden, the hardship of suffering. We're called to follow him, to fix our eyes constantly on Jesus, to go where he goes, do what he does. And where did Jesus go? Where are we ultimately following him to? Heaven. This hardness of Christianity, this suffering, this toiling in a world that hates us, is so temporary, it's almost laughable. We're here on this earth for at most 100 years. That seems like a lot to us. And the younger we are, the longer it seems. But if you look at the real picture, the picture of eternity, it is just the tiniest blip. If this room represented eternity, the whole of time, then your lifespan, my lifespan, 
would probably not even show up on a microscope. So any hardship you face and any suffering you go through may seem utterly overwhelming here when you focus on this one small part. But when you look at life for what it is, just a tiny training ground before you head up to an eternity in heaven, before you get to spend all of time with the one you are desperately in love with, where there is no pain, no sorrow, no suffering, just joy and delight and laughter and singing and praise and understanding and perfect communion with God of the entire universe, then what does this minor blip of suffering matter? Don't mishear me, though. I'm not trying to minimize whatever pain you're going through, whatever losses you're experiencing, whatever suffering you feel. Jesus knows that pain. Even though he knew he was about to raise him to life again, he still wept when Lazarus died. I know the truth of Jesus' promise, and yet there are still times when I have been brought down on my face, sobbing from the pain and suffering of this life. I know it can completely take over your every minute with the cruel, real destruction of hurt. And I'm not saying dismiss it. I'm simply saying there is vast, vast hope. Yes, life is completely rotten sometimes. It is. Things go wrong. People we love die. Diagnoses come that we weren't ready for. Jobs fail. Friends betray. Work goes unrewarded. Evil goes unpunished. Parents are cruel. Children turn away. Marriages dissolve. Life on this earth can be intensely, intensely hard. Picking up your cross doesn't just mean you'll suffer for your faith. You'll just suffer. One of the philosophers we learned about in high school wrote that life is nasty, brutish, and short. And if you aren't following Jesus, if you don't have your eyes on him, if you don't see that what you suffer for your faith makes you stronger, what you suffer for your love for him makes you more like him, and what you suffer in this world is temporary, then what darkness life is. But we have the hope of heaven, of spending all of time in happiness and peace and full knowledge of and communication with God. Do you get how amazing that is? Do you see how that changes everything? If I have my eyes on Jesus, on where he's going, on following him to heaven, doesn't that change the decisions I make every day? Doesn't that change how I choose to spend my time? If I only have a tiny amount of time to spend down here, am I going to spend it watching hours of TV so that I can relax? Apparently, yes, that is what I'm going to do. But what I should be doing is spending it connecting with the people around me, seeking out the needy and the lost, spending time really following Jesus and doing what he would have done. When we suffer, we have this eternal perspective to pull us out of the dark well of despair. We're human and selfish, and we don't always remember, and sometimes we get impatient, and this life seems, in those moments, to be all there is. But if we can get that perspective, that hope of heaven on the other side, then any hardship is bearable. And if we have this hope, how can we keep it to ourselves? We have the ability to endure suffering in a way that people without the knowledge of Jesus can't. We're called to share this hope, this light, with a world that is drowning in the dark desperation of a life without Jesus, a life that is nasty, brutish, and short. And don't kid yourselves. There are people who are living seemingly comfortable lives, but whose emotional world or relational world or internal world is nasty and brutish. As Christians, we have the keys to true joy, true hope, 
And we know a Savior that risked all, bore all, suffered through all to save each and every person in this world from that suffocating darkness. If we are really following him, yes, the work is hard. It's often scary. We won't be rewarded for it here on earth. It will be heavy. It will be uncomfortable and frustrating and terrifying. But if we're following Jesus, then we are never alone. We are never without purpose. We are never without hope. We can trust absolutely that suffering is temporary. It may be nasty and brutish, but it is short. The end of our journey is heaven, which is wonderful and rewarding beyond words. The end of our journey lets us live forever with our beloved, the love of our lives. And if we keep our eyes and our hearts fixed on him, he will take us safely through all the suffering, all the pain, all the hard road of this life, and he will bring us home. Let us pray. Lord, we just pray this morning for everyone in this room who is suffering. We pray that you will surround them with your comfort, with your encouragement, with your strength, with your peace, with your hope. We pray that you will let them know every day that they are not walking through this alone. And Lord, for those of us in this room who are too comfortable, we pray that you will shake us. Knock us over the head with the glory of your truth, Lord. Burn in our hearts your spirit, your passion for this world. Help us to share your light and your hope with everyone we come into contact with. Push us to do the things that are uncomfortable, to do the things that are terrifying, to do the things that are risky. And Lord, we just pray that you will help us to be obedient in this every day that you will take our obedience and do amazing things to transform this world so that it more closely resembles your vision of what it should be. And Lord, we just pray that you will use our obedience to shine your light into all the dark corners that are in the people we know, that are in our own hearts, that are in the world. We pray this in the name of your Son. Amen.